0: up with the 16th chapter of Exodus is where we're sort of moving forward into this passage here and you can look in your Bibles or just follow along on the handout. I'm going to read through this and try to connect it to where we were last week but really briefly touch on that not spend too much time there. It says then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam now, again, for those of us who were here or even have, I don't want to assume that everybody has a knowledge or was even here last week of what, you know, Elam was. We talked about it, how after the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt and they were brought to the Red Sea, and we talked about how they went through the Red Sea and how their pursuers perished in the Red Sea and how the first place they went to was this place called Mara, which was an oasis, but the water was bitter. And we talked about the bitter places of life and how in so many ways Israel is, a, is it really, for us, it's just like life. It's a journey, and they were on their way somewhere, and they came to this bitter place, and the water was bitter, but, but God made that water sweet, and that, that, that place is, is a reminder that God can take the bitter places of life, and he can even bring good good things from it. Then from Marah, they were led to this place called Elam, another oasis in the wilderness. In Elam, it, the water was, was great. There were 12 wells, 70 palms. The people were just provided for it. was a wonderful a stopping point, and they were very blessed. It reminds us of, of places in life where everything's good, and we feel so blessed, and, and our needs are met, and and it's easy to be grateful in those places. But their journey continued, as life does. Life has these moments in them, and as their journey continued, they w- were told here that they journeyed into the wilderness of sin. Now, that's that needs to be. I need to say something about that because. The wilderness of sin is a literal wilderness in the Sinai, and hence sin in this context is a derivative of Sinai. It's not to be confused with the, the doctrine of sin, which has to do with missing, missing the mark, literally, uh, falling short of God's goodness, you know, what is wrong in God's eyes. That's a whole different word in context. This is a literal place geographically that they were, were going through as they made their way into the Sinai Sinai wilderness. You can see the connection between the two words. In, and we're told here that they arrived there and were given a specific time uh, frame in the fifteenth day of the second month. One that we're told it was one month after they had left Egypt, so they're about a, a a month into this, and um, in that in this wilderness place, there what happened was that their supplies began to to run out. I mean, in the vast in the far distance, they it, many biblical scholars and archaeologists. Uh, and one of them, in particular, named Eidersheim, talked about how, from where they were geographically, most likely they could see in the distant, in the distance, on a clear, clear day, uh, in the desert mists far away westward, they could still see the the outline of the Red Sea and beyond that, the green patch of the Nile Basin. So th- they were far enough away, but yet they could still see a little bit in their re- rearview mirror. And but they were running out of food, and people were a little concerned that. You know, they had brought provisions when they had left Egypt, but now those provisions were running low. And there was real concern that here we are, Moses, you've led us into the wilderness, and there's we, what, are we, what are we supposed to do for food? Did you guys think about that? And so they do what they were really good at. I mean, they were really good at what, what, what we're told happens in verses 2 and 3. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained. Uh, they complained about Moses and Aaron, and then they... Dropped into what had to be one of the great exaggerations of all time. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, uh, they moaned, uh, and, and then they said, "There we sat around the pots that were filled with me." And they started, Here's the thing. I mean, they they took uh, this uh, problem and they blew it up in, in so disproportionately, such a, a, I mean, such a drastic uh, uh, response to yeah the situation wasn't great but to start just so quickly throwing off things like why didn't God just kill us when we were in Egypt you know why do you let us out here and you you've let us out here to starve in the wilderness you know this this whole this reaction that was so disproportional it's like when we're in the middle of a of a, of a you know I tried to think about this in my own life <laughs> in our own mind and you know you're, we're in an argument with perhaps with someone and 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 it's it's it maybe is low grade, you know, there's disagreement, you know, someone says this, and another person says this, but then, but then someone, you know, it's almost like someone's playing cards, well, you know, duh, duh, you know and, then, and then someone decides that they're going to just like escalate the thing way up, right, well, if you do that, then this, it's like, whoa, do we really want to go, that is like a big jump from where we were to, to that, well, that's the way it is. See, it's sort of like this, wow, that is so disproportional reaction to what we're dealing with. That's not, this is not that big of a deal, but it's a big deal to us. And that's exactly what Israel did. It's like, you know, instead of saying, you know, Moses, you know, I, we appreciate the, you helping us, getting us out here. God's done an amazing thing, you know, but, you know, did you guys think about what we were going to do for food, you know, when we got out here? There's none of that. It's like, why did you take us out here? To starve us to death in the wilderness. Is this your fault? Where's our food? Where's the provisions? Ah, and then they wax, they reminisce about what life was like. Ah, we remember the boiling pots of meat (laughs) as we sat about eating bread in wonderful conversation around the fire pit. You know, there's this like, you know, life was so good back there, enslaved, Right? I mean, it's amazing how you think, oh, yeah, we have, you know, it's like we were at Club Med, you know, we have everything given to us. I mean, the, 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 the you look at it, and you go, I can't believe these people. You can imagine Moses going, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you guys? You complain about everything. Just a couple of days ago, you, we were, you were out there rejoicing around the, the, the shore of the Red Sea. Remember? We were talking about how good God was, how faithful he was. Remember around that, that, that place called Mara? How even after that, when you were complaining back there, God God did something and he turned that water and made it drinkable. Do you remember that? Why are you like this? Why do you complain all the time? And again, it's connected in large portion to their past. Their past generations um, of of having been in a situation where they just just were, they felt very uh, entitled. They had a hard time trusting. Uh, There was a, a real... Uh, you know what, I'm going to say something. God is going to try to shape this people out of a past that kept them always stuck in a, in a, in a bound up place. And so we come to verse, verse three and they, they make their, you know, their big statement. There we sat around the pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Oh, it was great back there. But now, now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. That's what you've done. And then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And notice this word, I will what? I will test them that in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day they will gather food. And, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Why? Because there won't be any on the seventh day. So on the sixth day, they're going to get double what they need. And there's a whole, there's a whole lesson around that. And so what basically God says is, I'm gonna, you know what, I'm gonna take care of this, Moses. But look what goes on. We go on, we read. It says, So Moses and Aaron, they they said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize the Lord is put it into our hearts to say this to you, that you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Again, we tell you this, that in the morning, you're gonna see the glory, look at this, verse seven, of the Lord, because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, by the way, not against us, which, which we have done. What, what have we done that you should complain about us? So you, can, you can feel the humanness of Moses. He's, he's, he's hurt, Again, remember that was part of his deal too. You know, going back to face this situation that he had been so injured in before, and then you could hear it in his voice. It's like, why are you, why are you so ungrateful? Why are you complaining so much? Why are you accusing us all the time? What's wrong with you guys? This, you can hear it. It's coming out here. Moses says, look, the Lord is going to give you meat to eat in the morning, I mean, in the evening, and bread to satisfy you in the morning. For he has heard all of your complaints against him. But what have we done? What have we done? Yes, your complaints, they're, they're against the Lord. They're not against us. And so Moses is saying two things, really, if you think about it. He says, no, he says look, God's going to provide for you. So he stopped the complaining. He's already heard. He's going to take care of you. Should that have ever been a doubt? But not only that, why do you keep focusing on us? Your, your issues with God, not with us. That's what he says. Verse 9. He says, Then Moses said to Aaron, Aaron, announce this, announce to this to the entire community of Israel, that they are to present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out towards the wilderness, and they could see the the, the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. And then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites and their complaints, and, and, I, and, and now I want you to tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And that evening, we're told that there was a minor miracle because a vast number of quail flew in and it covered the camp. And then the next morning, the area around the camp was wet. It was wet with dew. But when that dew evaporated, there was this flaky substance as fine as frost that blanketed the ground. And the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it and they said, what is it? And they asked each other, they had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, this is the food the Lord has given you to eat. Um, They would later refer to that flaky seed-like honey-tasting substance that they could make in the bread and toast. They would later later call that manna, manna, which means, what is it? That's what manna means, it's like, what is it? you know somebody said it's what you to call it you know that's what manna is what it what. but that was their thing said, what is this that's man that's what manna means they called it manna you know what's fascinating is because this becomes a marking point for israel so they will look back at this as one of the greatest miracles of their generation because you know what we're told really of their history because we're told that for 40 years as they were in the wilderness that six every six for six days of every week for those 40 years this seed like substance would fall and uh, in fact, Jesus will refer back to this, and we're going to we're going to talk about he, it's going to come up in one of his great teachings that we're going to be looking at leading into, into Easter. We're going to look at John six, and he is going to talk about this moment when God provided. And look, in fact, the psalmist refers back to it, and that's why I put Psalm one hundred five in there. Look what he says. It says, "The Lord brought his people out of Egypt, loaded with silver and gold. Not one among the tribes of Israel even stumbled. They came out victorious." Um, they, they didn't even have to fight to get out. That's what he's saying. They left a the victorious people with provision. And Egypt was glad when they were gone, for they feared them greatly. They, they, the plagues had made them so afraid they just wanted to get rid of them. And then the Lord spread a cloud above them. We talked about this covering and gave them a great fire to light the darkness. You know, the, the, the cloud by day, the fire by night. And they asked for meat. This is, and so the psalmist refers back to the, what we just read and it says this, that they asked for meat and he sent them quail and he satisfied their hunger with manna, that is the bread from heaven. And Jesus will later say that bread is a picture of the bread that has been sent. He would say, I am the bread. There's this amazing connection. We're going to get into that. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. But one of the things I want us to do is looking at this passage. It's, so, it's got so much in it for us. And so I want to I put some things on the table around this. I want to I I make a marking point here and just put some things on the board and say this, that one of the Aspects of God's faithfulness towards us. And it shows up here, is that he really gives us opportunities to grow beyond uh, our, our damaging past. So that we will find that when the Lord is, is trying to grow us and mature us, that he will give us opportunities to, to push beyond our past past. Because our past has so much to do with how we handle things. And and again, one of the most miraculous aspects of this, beyond the provisions themselves of quail and and of food and the manna and the what is it, uh, beyond all that was the fact that God was actually doing something uh, as equally remarkable but in a far less noticeable way. He was actually trying to take a people who had only known slavery and who had, had a very small sense of their own dignity as a people had nothing to to live out of, were so quick to feel entitled and you owe me and and everything else. And God was trying to take them and shape them into a people out of which he could build a nation, out of which would come a Savior who would save the world. And he was going to give them a law and a word and a way of living. He He was going to train this generation. And really, they would never quite learn it like they needed to, but their children did. And they would possess a land. And that land of promise would become a place where they would flourish and grow and it's all connected to what, he's trying, what I'm trying to say is one of the amazing miracles here is how God starts to work with his people to work with them out of their damaged past to move them to a place of health and life and promise. And it's, it's pretty remarkable because it's the exact same thing, if you think about it, that God did with Moses. Remember, we talked about the, the burning bush incident, and Moses was by the burning bush and how he said, because of his trust injury in the past, when he got rejected, when he did what he thought God wanted him to do, and he, he says to God, find somebody else. I'm not your guy. Remember that moment. And God says, no, I want you to do this. I'm calling you to face this thing. And he's, he's challenging, he's working with Moses to get past his past. And grow, he's growing him, even in his older years, to get past this thing that he's been carrying for a long time. And he's been okay with it. But God's saying, now you're going to grow past this. And in the same way, he's taking his people, and he's going to try to train them to become a people who are no longer defined by what has been. A kind of small, self-oriented... Um, way of, of being as a people. He's going to try to teach them how to grow into a point where they can move forward into the plans that he has for them. And it, to really, he's trying to get them, listen, to really get free from their their past grooving, if I can put it that way. You know, we, we fall, it, all of us, when the right pressure is applied, we'll fall into grooves that we're comfortable with. We, ways of being that that oftentimes are not good. Some of us, when, when the pressure comes or when we're angry or when we're feeling like we got, we're stuck, we got no way out, where's our food? That, that's what I'm talking about, right? We fall into a pattern of response, of, of reacting. And, and we'll say things. We, we'll, we'll do stuff. We'll do, we'll we, we even be, we'll even go back into destructive behavior in those moments that we've tried to leave way behind us. And that, that's what we're talking about. And see, Israel would drop back into a way Whenever it got bad, it was, they were quick to fall back into a pattern that was so, it became so predictable. And the Lord's trying to break them out of that, break them out of it. I mean, he got them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get the Egypt out of them. He's trying to get it out of them, trying to get them to grow, right? This, this Egypt mindset that was connected to a place in which they were not really free. And so guys, in, in the same way, he's trying to break them out of their pain, the pain of their past, their brokenness. You know, and God still does that. God's still worse in our lives because a lot of times you and I carry things with us that have to do with where we've been. And when the pressure's applied, when the heat is on, we drop back into into familiar patterns. And part of the Lord's plan for our lives, I can say this, he wants to teach us how to grow past that. So when the things that are applied that used to just push us right back to where we didn't want to be, We start to learn with the grace of God in our lives how to grow beyond that and how, when that hits, we don't fall back into what we've always fallen back into, what my family's always fallen back into. No, we begin to live as a people of promise moving forward, leaving what was beyond and what was in our past behind us and this idea, because a lot of us, we we have brokenness. We we live close to something that is broken. And you know one of the most beautiful things that Jesus ever said was that you know He's talking about the bruised reed because a lot of us have bruising, we carry with us bruising. We, we do, we do. It's in our heart, and and it, it's out of that lens that we react to things. And one of the things the Lord does is He takes what is broken and He loves to make, make what is broken something that is, is healed and restored. And one of those, there's an amazingly beautiful verse in Matthew 12 in which it said of the Lord, and they're quoting from Isaiah. And it just says this about him. It says that he will, the bruised reed he will not, I learned it in the older version, it said the bruised reed he will not despise. That is, and, and the smoking flax he will, not, he will not extinguish. All right? This idea of, of a bruised reed, the idea of a reed was that when, you know, it's like this, it's like he will not toss aside the, the reed that is broken. Because if a reed got bruised, it couldn't be used anymore like in a basket. It would just, it would have a, like a bruise on it and it would be bent and, and they would just rip it out and throw it aside. It's broken. It's no good. It can't be used anymore. And the Lord says, "The broken reed, the bruised reed, He will not. He will not. This. Let me tell you. This is what Jesus said of of the servant of Jesus. He will not take that bruised reed, that one that has looked like it's, it's finished. It's got so messed up. This can't. Can't. Nothing can do to salvage it. But He says, He'll take it, and He will not throw it aside. He will take the bruised reed, and He will restore it. He can use it out of our our weakness. His strength is." Demonstrated to be more than enough. He will take the flickering candle and not put it out, it says. That's what it's saying. And this is what God does. This is what God does. I've seen this with my own eyes. That God does this in people's lives. He takes the broken places, the broken things, and he can make life come from them. He can restore what has been lost. That's our God. That's what he does. He does this in amazing ways. He's trying to work with his people to get them to move forward. But it's hard. Growth is hard. And that leads to the second idea, which is this, that frequently in these moments when we find ourselves in these times of crises, that in these times of crisis, it's really important that you and I, we've been talking about this now for a couple of weeks, that we we really guard ourselves from, you know, complaining and from groaning and uh, grumbling and and blaming, right? That 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 whole negativity of a crisis, that we really want to, as followers of Jesus, to really guard our hearts around this tendency, because you know what blaming does? Blaming just detracts from learning. And it obscures our ability to actually learn from what we're going through. And a lot of times in these situations, we find ourselves in, we'd rather just get mad at somebody, rather blame somebody. rather. But, you know, God wants to teach us how to grow in his wisdom in the difficult places and to trust him for provision. You know, there's a great verse in James, and it says this, and it talks about wisdom. And we're invited to do that. We're all invited to do this. If any of us lack wisdom, let him ask of God who wants to give us, listen, liberally, that he wants to give us in a way that is it, out of his abundance. I mean, again, one of the, the mis, great misunderstandings of Israel was that they always, they always saw things as there's only so much. There's only so much. You've got to protect what you have. And God's trying to teach them to be a gracious people, to, to not clutch things. Because if you've got to do that, you've got to protect yourself. And he's trying to teach them, don't do that. Don't live like that. And there's this sort of liberate God himself, because that's not how God is. And God wants to teach us. He says, if you ask me for wisdom, I want to give it to you. And I'm not just going to like, you know, dole it out a little bit here. Here you go. Just take that, live off of that. You know, he's saying, here, I have more than you need. Come to me. You know, one of the things I've noticed, and we were talking about this last night, is that in these difficult places when, we're, when we really don't know what to do or having a hard time getting past something or um, we're, we're afraid, or we're tempted to make things bigger than what they really are, or we're really being being tempted to compromise at a deep level, and to and to pour, return back to things that we really should be leaving behind us. That it's helpful to get past seasons, where it's, I'm going to call it, it's a season of trial, and it's difficult, and we really need God to show up because we're afraid, maybe afraid of our own. In those places. It's important, I found that, uh, I'll tell you what, one of the things that's really been helpful for me in the years, especially when I've wanted to blame people or I was angry or I felt like, Lord, what am I gonna do, is to take, is to really sometimes take a portion of scripture or a verse and say, Lord, will you give me something of a verse that I can sit with for this season of my trial? And I will ask you, Lord, to let that be for me a, a word to live out of for this time. And that's one of the reasons why we constantly tell everyone, you know what we're talking about. That's so why we started this Bible, reading the Bible through plan. In, in a year, we were encouraging everybody to do that because we cannot draw from what we do not have. So because there are, listen, if I can put it this way, and I, I, God has his word and he wants us to read his word. But there will be times in life where he will say, stop, that word that you just read is a word for you in this season that you're in. And you need, and it may not even be a direct context, but it's like the Lord would say, that is your word. I've given that to you. You take that word, let that word strengthen you. Let that word plant you in the place that you need to be planted. Let that word uh, inspire trust in you. Let that word strengthen you. Let that word cause you to prevail. To give you the strength as we, as, we, as we say, Lord, let this word come alive in me. I hold this word as my own. It means something. It's, it's what God's word will be to us. It will be strength to us. It will fill us with wisdom. It will be what we need. But a key is saying, Lord, I'm open. Speak to me. Show me. Give me, give me, the, give me a way to walk in this, to walk through this. And then that that leads me to this last thing, because really what it has to do with, and this is our third piece here, it has to do with trusting God with our future. Because so much of our our recklessness frequently is connected to a a foreboding sense of of our own vulnerability in regards to our future. And so we will do things that oftentimes are, are, are not what God would have us to do, but we do it because we're afraid or because we want to make sure we have security or because we're, what if this happens? What if we run out of food? What if we run out of food? What are we going to do? And, and, and then we start, we start panicking and, and this is when things happen in our lives or if they, what if this doesn't happen and i and I've prayed about it and it doesn't happen and, and, and we need to see the Lord's trying to teach his people to stay with me on to trust him with their future and a lot of times that's not, that's going to be some, something that we go, we need to say, it's like he's saying to them, look, the same one who took you out of Egypt Brought you through the Red Sea, left your pursuing enemy behind. Is the same one who will take you through the wilderness. Will you listen? Remember, God has done this. He's not going to abandon you. I mean, that's what Moses is saying. Why are you doing? This? Why are you listen? He was. He was with you. He got you out, and he's breaking you through. He's not going to leave you out here. That's not what he does. That's what Moses is saying, and, and a lot of times it has to do with trusting God, that he will carry us through the wilderness. But one of the key things is not allowing our perspectives to just be filled with negativity and anger and complaining and blaming, but to ask God by his grace to fill us with an, an, an optimism. It's not a fake. It's not being fake. You know, I was talking to somebody, and, and just real quickly here, and they were, they were we were talking about what was some situation that was occurring in their lives, and he says, you know what, I've got a number of friends who are really showing up in, 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 in an amazing way. They're standing with me. He goes, and there's a lot of friends that I have that I, I, I thought I could count on them, but what's happened is, is, is the, it, it, honestly, I'm, I'm getting angry. And I said, you know what, I, this is what I suggest. Let's focus not on the people who are disappointing us, but let's focus on the ones who are showing up that we didn't even think they were gonna show up, and they're doing it in an amazing way. Let's, let's pour our heart there. Let's not let ourselves get bound up in bitterness but let's focus on staying optimistic and hopeful, not just to say it, but because God can be trusted. And we will do this. We will lean into his promises. We will trust him with our future. We will call upon him to be faithful to us in times of trouble. Listen, you know what I call, I said, you know what that is? That's called trust training, right? (laughs) I'm gonna trust you, Lord. This is hard, but I'm gonna trust you. And trust training is connected to cross training, And I'm talking about when Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And there's something about the dailiness of taking up the cross and saying, Lord, if this season is a difficult place for me to walk, then I'm going to walk with you. I will do it. And I will do it by your grace with an attitude of trust there are times when we will have to follow the path of the master up the hill. And it's going to be okay because the cross is not the final word. The empty tomb is. And we are a people anchored in hope because we don't just serve a Savior who died on a cross. We serve a Savior who rose again. That is the way of the Lord. And he, if we will take the promise and not run away But say, yes, and Jesus even felt it. If it be possible, Father, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. See, if if we will do this, the Lord will show up. And we will grow. And people, listen, we all live because Jesus did it. Others will live as we learn to trust God with our lives as well. And not simply just say, Lord, this is overwhelming me. I quit. I quit but I trust you. So, Lord, as I as we have sat here in your word, as we have sought to honor it, as we we've sought to just uh, think about life and what it means to live well for you and and Lord, you know, we're many of us are facing things in our lives that are perplexing and in some cases Lord very intimidating and at the same time, Lord, we may be struggling deeply some of us with trying to not return to things that we've 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 That are haunting us, pursuing us Um, on our trail, Lord. I, I pray that you would fill us with strength to prevail, that we would trust you, that we would grow in our capacity to honor you with our lives, that we would we would not quit. Some of us, Lord, you have called us to to be a testimony of what your grace can do. And for some of us, Lord, we will be a marking point in the generations Finally, once and for all, things will be broken and new things will be established. Not things of captivity and bondage, but things of life and promise. And so, Lord, we welcome you. Some of us you've called to be pace setters, And that's going to cost us something. But, Lord, you are the one who showed us the way. And you did not pull back when everything depended upon your obedience. And you took that cross and you carried it. And you say to us still this day, if anyone will come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Lord, fill us with courage, the courage that call, calls us into a trusting place and the trusting place that doesn't quit even when at times it's hard and we even may suffer. But we will look to you and you will bring the good and the fruit and the blessing. We believe, this we believe. Expand us, grow us, not so just we can think of a better of ourselves, but so that we can be the faithful blessing you've called us to be in the places of our lives. And so we just pray for your blessing over this closing song, which emphasizes so much of your desire to hold us and to strengthen us. And also, Lord, as we, as we take this time to honor you, many of our community in our tithes and offerings, in our giving time, we pray that you be blessed in all things. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.